Growing Through Temptation. James chapter 1 and verse 12. We're going to talk about temptation. For the last several months, we've been talking about growing in grace as our banners here in front of the church um, remind us of that truth and of the importance of growing in grace. We've been talking about the different virtues that we have uh, been striving to grow in from 2 Peter chapter 1. But now we're going to talk about temptation. This is what makes growth difficult, is that we're tempted away from growing. Growing in grace through temptation. James 1 and verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, when he's tested, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for an opportunity to preach your word. I pray that you would help me now to say those things which should be said, to not say anything that would be a distraction from what you want to do in our hearts. Help us to grow in grace. Help us to understand a bit more about temptation, where it comes from, and how we can grow through it. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Every temptation is an opportunity to do good. On the path to spiritual maturity, even temptation becomes a stepping stone rather than a stumbling block when you realize that is just as much an occasion to do the right thing as it is to do the wrong thing. If we take the time to look, and I will be reading several scriptures in the lesson. You can turn there if you want to, but I will be just reading through some, some, some scriptures. So, uh, But this one you can turn to if you like. The fruit of the Spirit are found in Galatians 5. And so if we think in verse number 22, these are the same attributes that Jesus embodied. The Bible says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Temptation is when you are tempted to do the opposite of these fruit. Temptation is when you are tempted to do the opposite of these fruit. Temptation simply provides the choice to do the opposite of these fruit. Every time you choose to do good instead of sin, you are growing in the character of Christ. Jesus Christ embodied perfect love, joy, peace, patience, and all the other fruit embodied in a single person, 
to have the fruit of the spirit is to be like Christ. So how does God develop this fruit in our life? Well, he teaches us, we learn from the word of God, but also we are put in challenging situations where we are tempted to do the opposite of these things. God develops the fruit of the spirit in your life by allowing you to experience circumstances in which you are tempted to express the exact opposite quality. God teaches us real joy in the midst of sorrow. Happiness depends on circumstances, but joy is based on your relationship to God. Oftentimes when we look at the fruit of the spirit, we think if I read my Bible and pray, then I'm going to have the emotions and the feelings of joy, or I'm going to feel peace. But really it's when you're put in a situation, when you're challenged to not be in peace with Christ and you, you, you're tempted to do the opposite of that, that you can find by walking in the spirit, by coming to God, that what true peace is. God develops peace within us, not by making things go the way we planned, but by allowing times of chaos and confusion. We learn real peace by trusting God in circumstances in which we are tempted to worry or be afraid. Likewise, patience is developed in circumstances in which we're forced to wait and are tempted to be angry or have a short fuse. In that moment, we have the choice to either fall to the temptation to not be patient, to not have true love, God's love, Bible love, agape love. We have the choice to not be in peace and choose peace. We have the choice to not have real joy. We have that we're tempted away from the fruit or we have the opportunity to grow and make the right choice, defeat the temptation, not turn to anger, for example, not turn to impatience and anger, and instead say, in spite of this that's happening, and it's tempting me to have an angry reaction, instead I'm going to choose peace over here. So in order for that to take place, we kind of need to understand temptation. You can't claim to be good or Let's just say you can't claim to be a mature Christian if you've never been tempted to be bad. Again, as I've said several times today already, sometimes we think the way to experience love, joy, and peace and temperance and patience, especially in today's digital age, is I'm just going to sit in my room and never leave home and order my groceries. Because honestly, isn't the thing that generally challenges our Christianity, isn't it usually other people? I'm just not a people person. That's not a Jesus statement. Right? Amen. Right? Well, Jesus is trying to teach you. It's just my personality. You know, Jesus is bigger than our personality. His grace is stronger than our personality. He's not trying to make you into me or me into you. He's trying to make all of us into him. So we need to know how temptation works. Because every time we defeat a temptation, you become more like Jesus. So we go back to James 1. 
And we see in verse number 13 and 14, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. So first of all, God is not the one that tempts us with evil. Now he does test our faith, but he doesn't tempt us or try to entice us into doing sin. That doesn't come from him. It's very important for us to understand that right away. God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. He doesn't do that. That's not him. Why does God put me in this situation? That's not, we're not thinking correctly about that. So in order for us to defeat temptation, we've got to understand where's the temptation coming from? But it says in verse 14, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. Now we see two players here in that phrase. When he is drawn away of his own lust, he is drawn away. The drawn away by your own lust, but also drawn away or tempted by Satan. We're going to see these two things. So number one, how temptation works. Number one, Satan identifies a desire inside of you. We are sinners. If we were not sinners, sin would not have that much of a draw to us. Now we know with Adam and Eve, they were tempted and then they stepped into it and now they're completely vulnerable. We as a human race are completely vulnerable to sin. And thank God one day, like our song that we just sang on Jordan's Stormy Banks, when we get to heaven, we will not be in the presence of sin anymore. The tempter, Satan, will be put into eternal hell to be bound forever and ever and ever. And we never have to worry about having a sinful body, a sinful nature. We don't have, the fight will be over, praise the Lord. And that is the hope of the resurrection of Christ. But until that day, we have to contend with two things. We have to contend with the fact that Satan, in the world of the spirit, the spirit world, he is the one that tempts or he identifies a desire inside of us. Notice in Matthew chapter number four. Let's look at this briefly. Matthew four. This is the record of the temptation of Christ. Now, Christ did not have the sin nature, but he did have a human body. He was in the flesh, meaning he 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 had a human body. We're even more vulnerable than Christ could be because we have a sin nature. He didn't have a sin nature. Matthew four. Verse one, then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Now there's several reasons for this and we won't get into them, but it is important for us as Christians to know that Jesus was tempted and he was successful. He was victorious. Okay. And one of the reasons for this is for our example. He couldn't have shown us. He could listen. He could have told us, but he couldn't have shown us. He wanted to show us. Are you one of the people that that needs to be shown something? I need to be shown. I think they call those visual learners. Are you a visual learner? Or can somebody just kind of explain something? Like, I I need the chalkboard. I need the marker board. I need a video. I I need somebody to hold my hands and help me figure it out. Well, Jesus came in the flesh And he said, I'm going to defeat Satan at the cross, but I'm also going to defeat Satan's temptations in the flesh. And we can use the same methods that he used because he was in the flesh. 
So he shows us how to do it. But notice when it comes to Satan, he identified a desire inside of Christ. We're not going to go through every single of the, of, of the temptations here. There's three of them. But notice in verse two, it said, when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hungered. Now, I think that's putting it mildly. Hey, you hadn't eaten anything for 40 days and 40 nights. I don't know if anybody in here has done that. I wouldn't recommend it. Okay, but just he was hungry. I said he was he was hungry. Hadn't eaten anything. So notice what Satan tempts him with in verse three. And when the tempter came to him, he said, now, again, what's Satan's name here? What's he described as? The tempter. God doesn't tempt people. He's not tempting us. Okay. It's Satan that tempts us. And he knows us. He knows the way human beings are. Okay. And he's observing Jesus. And what does he come and tempt him with? A desire that was inside of him. What was the desire? Food. He was hungry. Okay, so let me ask you something. What desire do you have inside of you? No. By the way, is being hungry for food a sinful desire? No. Because Jesus had this, this desire inside of him? That wasn't sin. Satan was trying to trick him to fulfill the desire inside of him in a wrong way. Hunger is a good desire. It's a normal desire. Thirst. Wanting pleasure. There's nothing wrong with that if you fulfill it within a correct way. Some people have a, uh, we have a sinful desire to get revenge or to control others. A normal desire to be loved, valued, or feel pleasure. And there's always a temptation to try to get us to try to fulfill that desire in a wrong and sinful way. Always be aware of shortcuts. They are often temptations. Get rich quick. It bothers me when I'm at Shoppers. I'm going to rant, rant for just a second. It bothers me at Shoppers when I'm in a hurry. Yes, this happened to me the other day, and I'm ranting. And someone's got a giant pile of the scratch-offs. <laughs> the lottery tickets. And they're standing right where you pay. Hey! I'm standing here! That's what I want to say. Impatient. There's an opportunity for me to practice patience. Really what that is. Right? But why are they doing lotto? They want to hit it big. Shortcut. Shortcut. You know what Satan comes? He comes alongside of us in every way and he says, Whatever desires inside of you, here's a here's a great little shortcut. Let me show you a great little let me let, let me give you a great little shortcut to be loved. To feel pleasure. Let me show you a great little shortcut shortcut to control other people or control your environment, so on and so forth. Temptation starts when Satan suggests with a thought that you give in to an evil desire or that you fulfill a legitimate desire in a wrong way 
or at the wrong time. I'm going to read that one more time. Temptation starts when Satan suggests with a thought that you give in to an evil desire or that you fulfill a legitimate desire, such as Jesus being hungry, in a wrong way or at the wrong time. Now, notice it says, and when the tempter came to him, verse three, if thou be the son of God, was he? How was he supposed to prove that he was the son of God? Well, in many different ways, doing miracles, okay? Uh, through his teaching and preaching, and then eventually through his death on the cross and especially the resurrection. But all of that was supposed to be done under the will of the father. It wasn't Jesus just doing what he wanted, which is an amazing thing to think. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now what it says in Philippians chapter number two, Listen, don't let anybody tempt you and say, if you were a real Christian, you would, listen, you don't have any idea what it means to be a real Christian if you're tempting somebody with that statement. My job is not to prove to you I'm a real Christian. My job is to be submissive to, the, to God and let him prove through me that he's real. It's not my job to prove I'm real. It's his job to use me to prove that he is true. That's completely different. So he comes and he says, if you're the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. He says in verse four, but he answered and said, it is written. Notice what he went to. What defeated the suggestion or the thought? What, what defeated it? It was God's word. It was God's word is truth. John 17, 17, Jesus said, thy word is truth. Isn't that what it says? Why do, why do we come to church? Why do we read our Bibles? So that we can know the truth. Why? So that we can identify a temptation and then not fall to it. Well, all this church stuff is just too hard. The Bible says in 1 John that his commandments are not grievous. What, what, what gives someone a more difficult life? To go to church, to read the Bible, to know the scripture, identify temptation and not fall to it? Or to get frustrated with the Christian life, want to do your own thing, and then go off and live a life of sin. The people, listen, the people that live the most complicated and painful lives are not the Christian humbly following the Savior. It is the people who think that there is no cost to sin, that it doesn't need to be identified, and you can do whatever you want. Satan will whisper to you, you deserve it. You should have it by now. It'll be exciting. Or it'll be comforting. Or it'll make you feel better. I deserve to feel better. And you can find all kinds of marketing ads, all kinds of philosophy, and all kinds of friends, and all kinds of voices that will tell you, you deserve it. God is not trying to give you a life you don't deserve. He's trying to protect you so you can live a spiritually abundant life that will not hurt you. 
It's like a child playing in the middle of the street, screaming at mom and dad, I deserve to do what I want in such a crazy, dangerous place. That's what we do. Well, how do we get to the point where we believe that living dangerously in a sinful life is somehow freedom or somehow the best thing for us? Well, Satan suggests a thought. He tempts us. But how does he do that? He identifies a desire inside of us. Hebrews 3.12 says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Temptation always starts in your mind, not in circumstances. Let me say that again. Temptation starts in your mind, not in your circumstances. Yes, we can put ourselves in circumstances that make the temptations even more intense and even more various, absolutely. But Jesus said, Mark 7, verse 21, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, Deceit, lasciviousness, unbridled lust is what that means. An evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Now, in Mark chapter 7, if we were to take the time and look and read all of the context, he was arguing with the Pharisees and teaching his disciples in contrast to what the Pharisees said because they saw the disciples of Christ go and eat food without washing their hands. Now, is it a good idea to wash your hands before you eat? Absolutely. For sure. Is it a sin to eat without washing your hands? Is God upset with you? Is it a sin against God? Well, the Pharisees were claiming that. That's taking it too far. Listen, when you take our own little life rules and stretch them into a sin, isn't it, isn't it amazing? The human heart desperately wants to make up our own rules. Generally, they're the rules that we enjoy doing. Right? They're the ones I kind of like for myself and I kind of have these for myself and then we stretch them over into, well, because other people aren't doing it, it's sin and I'm good and you're bad. That's what the Pharisees were doing. And God says... <coughs> Actually, I'm God and I make the rules of what sin is. That's what Jesus is saying here. And he said, it's not sin for you to put something into your mouth. Amen. The sin comes from your heart. And Satan comes and he identifies in each and every one of us our own desires. Now, these are broad. Jesus gives a list here. But we all have individual lives and individual backgrounds. And it, we're all in different places in our life. And he comes and he says, in your life stage, here is a desire that you have that may be good or bad. And here's a shortcut to get what you want. He tempts us. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Keep our heart. So the first step is Satan identifies a desire inside of you. And the next step is doubt. So desire, number two, doubt. What's the first one? Desire, second, doubt. Desire, doubt. 
So if I'm going to defeat temptation, I can just simply ask myself, what is it I'm really wanting here? What, what, what desire has Satan identified in me, either sinful or just not sinful, just a natural desire? And he's trying to tempt me away to do something. Doubt. Satan tries to get you to doubt what God has said about the sin. This is very simple, but guys, this is just where it is. Is it really wrong? Did God really say that? Doesn't God want me to be happy? Uh, No, God's not primary concern for you is for you to be happy. (gasps) How shallow is that? His primary concern is for us to be holy so that we can have joy. Joy is so much better. Have you guys ever eaten a freeze-dried backpacking meal? Freeze-dried? You guys are like, what is that? It's, It's dry. It's crunchy. It's in a pouch. And you pour in boiling water. And you wait five minutes and it rehydrates and it's supposed to look like chili mac or it's supposed to look like lasagna in a bag. Help us. You've never had these? Don't do it. Okay. Uh, Do they taste good? Yeah. When you're hungry enough, you'll eat it. And that's, you've been walking all day with a heavy backpack and you finally get there and it's, they're really lightweight because they've, they've dehydrated them. So you pour in the boiling. But then when you get back home and it's time to eat, what do you want? I want a home cooked, made from scratch meal, whatever that is. Re- she said it. Real food. Real food. Cotton candy. And I was a little kid. I saw the cotton candy stand. <laughs> that was before the cotton candy, <laughs> right? And then once you eat it, you're <laughs> but it tastes good and it's all fluffy and oh, it's amazing. And guys, look, that is happiness versus joy. No, God did not save us to be happy. Doesn't God want you to be happy? No, that's shallow. Happiness is based on happenings. People move from their home country because their home country is a difficult place to live. And they come to Toronto looking for joy and they find happiness. And they're constantly running around seven days a week. Seven days a week. Make me happy. Make me happy. Make money. Make money. Make money. Find, find, a, find a partner. Find a partner. Just get a car. Ooh, there's a bigger car. There's a nicer car. There's a Lamborghini. There's this. Just happy, 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 happy. And they jump from happy, 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 happy. And I'm talking about lost people. Saved people too. But the more cotton candy you eat, the hungrier you get, and the less you realize, hey, this is just not fulfilling. I am not satisfied. And God's trying to offer us joy, and Satan's tempting away, tempting us away. How? He identifies a desire inside of us. And then he immediately gets us to doubt God's word. 
Genesis 3.1, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, What's he doing? He's shedding doubt on God's word. We will not fall to the temptation if we don't doubt. We have to doubt. Okay, and in a secular place like this, many people grow up without the knowledge of God at all, without the knowledge of God's word at all. Nothing is wrong. Nothing is wrong. What is wrong? It's a very short list. Murder, okay, that's wrong. But the, the list of what is actually really wrong is very short. God's list is different. God's list is different than my list. It's very difficult to grow as a Christian if we're not willing to learn God's list. Maybe the Bible's not reliable. Devil will put that in there. You'll, look, look it, it's, it's amazing when I go and just talk to people. Oh, what do you do? They ask me for my job career. I'm a pastor. <gasps> I've been watching this Netflix special. And I'm thinking, oh, that's a reliable source of spiritual information. This nice lady yesterday. There's this YouTube series on spiritual experiences. And she didn't actually do that, but that's, you know, that's generally how it's spiritual. Interactions with the spirits? Maybe I'll find my own path of religion. But if we're looking for reasons to not do what God wants, you can find them. You can find them. And you can find a whole bunch of so-called friends who will back you up. Doubt. Number three, deception. Deuteronomy eleven sixteen. Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived and ye turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Titus 3, 3, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Deceived. He gets you to doubt and then he sells you a lie. He gets you to believe something else. Revelation 20 and verse 10 says, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. He is the deceiver. He tempts us, he causes us to doubt, and then he deceives us. Satan is the father of lies. He offers his lie to you to replace the truth of God's word. I read an author recently, he said, a little sin is like being a little pregnant. Eventually, it's gonna show And the last one is disobedience. You finally act on the thought, 
you've been toying with in your mind. Now, this may all happen over a period of seconds, in some cases, nanoseconds. Sometimes it can take months and even years in some cases. There's a desire inside of, I'm just picking something random. A guy in midlife or a, a, a woman in midlife, there's a desire inside of her or him. Is this all my life's gonna be? Is this all I'm gonna do? I want to experience more. And then they find messages out there or they watch movies that suggest or they listen to this and they listen to that and, and all of a sudden they begin to doubt, well, maybe you're not really supposed to stay with your spouse for the rest of your life and maybe I really could go out and experience more and maybe I, maybe I will go and, I will, and, and maybe I won't and maybe I'm just, maybe I'm this and maybe I'm that. We, we have a distant friend that we know, youth pastor, wife just left left how'd that happen listen friend it didn't happen overnight there was a desire inside of her and it equally happens to men just in this illustration it's a lady Satan identified a desire offered some doubt Begins to, you know, Satan's like a lawyer. He's an adversary. He builds a case against you doing what God says. He builds the case, does he not? Doubt, 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 reasonable doubt in a lot of these crime novels and movies and stuff. Well, I mean, come on. Then finally, disobedience. What began as an idea gets birthed into a behavior. You give in to whatever got your attention. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Disobedience. That's the bad news. I'm going to give you three quick points, really quick, on overcoming temptation. And they're from their passage in James 1. Okay? It's important to know the process of temptation because we can blame it on a lot of things. Politically, countries want to blame it on a political system. Well, this political system is better than that political system. Okay? And, 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 uh, some people want to blame everything on the environment. Something that was kind of prevalent way back in the day was different cultures. And they would blame it on a culture. But again, God's saying all of us are sinners. The desire is inside of us. So overcoming temptation. Number one, refuse to be intimidated. Ephesians 6.10 says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Refuse to be intimidated, not in our own strength, but in his strength. Many Christians are frightened and demoralized by tempting thoughts. They feel guilty that they aren't past temptation. But sinless perfection is not a biblical doctrine. Remember, Jesus was tempted. And if Jesus was tempted, 
it couldn't have been sin for him to have the temptation come to him. It's only it's only sin when we actually follow through with the suggestion. We are never going to grow to the place where we no longer have temptations. That's impossible. It is a normal part of being a human being in a fallen world. Be realistic about the inevitability of temptation. Number two, recognize your pattern of temptation and be prepared for it. Recognize your pattern of temptation and be prepared for it. What causes you to be so angry and erupt? What causes you to lose your self-discipline? What causes you to, to react out of selfishness instead of unselfish love? What causes you to fall into despair? By the way, understand that sometimes anxiety and depression are temptations. It is not always a medical condition. Amen. Worrying and anxiety can be a temptation to not walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, to not walk in love, joy, peace, long-suffering, which means patience. Whatsoever of not of, is, is not of faith is sin. Sometimes. Sometimes it is a medical condition, but... Guys, honestly, many times people just slide right into the temptation. So recognize your pattern of temptation and be prepared for it. Some certain situations make you more vulnerable than others. Being around some people make you more likely to make sinful choices. So ask this question, who was with me when I am most tempted? Now, we can't start blaming other people because the temptation's from within. But listen, you're either, sta- you're either standing next to an ally in your faith or a thief. They're either going to be trying to encourage you to do the right thing and honor the Lord, or they're going to be fanning the flames of the temptation. And if I find myself constantly surrounded by those who are fanning the flames of the temptation... Guess what? I'm going to fall to the temptation time and time and time and time and time again. I don't want to fall to the, to the, to the flames. I don't want to fall to the temptation, but I'm not willing to cut that friend out of my life. Well, the wages of sin is death. What is that supposed to mean? It means you can't play with sin and get away with it. It means you can't constantly lose your cool and blow up and be crazy angry all the time and it not cost you something permanent. You can't live in a constant state of lust and it not cost you something permanent that you care about. You cannot live in a state of constant selfishness and it not cost you something powerful that you care about. And oftentimes it's our kids. It certainly is our relationship with the Lord. We're deceived. 
We can be so easily deceived. We want the love, the joy, and peace to rule and reign in our hearts. But then when it comes to trying to identify the patterns, well, I want victory, but I don't want to change anything. That's just not the way it works. Wise planning reduces temptation. Last one, request God's help. Ask God for the help to do the right thing, then expect him to provide it. We have to be willing to do the right thing. God is not going to help you resist temptation if you put yourself in a place in life where you are just ridiculously surrounded by temptation all the time. He is going to rattle inside of you and say, get out. Flee youthful lusts, the Bible says. Listen, temptation never gets tired. But we do. So I cannot sit there and be unwilling to change anything about the content that's coming into my life. But some people listen to angry music. There are different varieties. Some people listen to very, very lustful music. Not all music is wrong, but some music is wrong. It, it inflames the temptation to do the wrong thing, whatever that may be. Well, I don't want to follow the temptation, but I'm not changing the content. I gotta. Okay, well then guess what? You're just gonna. <laughs> You're gonna fall again. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.